hear some fells. Pick it up at 17. Ready? Five, six, and... Not, not quite my tempo. Here we go. Five, six, and... Downbeat on 18. Okay, here we go. Five, six, and... Bar 17, the and of four... Got it? Five, six, seven. Not quite my tempo. It's all good. No worries. Here we go. Five, six, seven. You're rushing. Here we go. Uh, ready? Okay. Five, six, and. Dragging just a hair. Wait for my cue. Five, six, seven. Rushing. Five, six, and. Dragging. Squadcast Movies. This is the podcast where we review and discuss the films that we love to watch. Yeah, we're all passionate about quality filmmaking and we want to share it with you. So thanks for joining us tonight. Let's get started. My name is Tim. And I'm Scott and we are the Squadcast. So, Tim, new show. New show. Basically. New show. Debut episode. So why are we doing this? (laughs) Well, the reason we're doing this, Scott, is because, I mean, we do another show. If if you guys have not heard us before, we do a genre-related show. We talk about DC Comics films. We have a network of shows that talk about various different things in the genre. But you and I both love filmmaking. We love uh, really good films outside of the genre, and we finally decided, you know, we want to start talking about some of these films, and that's basically why we're doing this. Yes. So, you know, it's it's kind of fun because we love so many different kinds of movies uh, across multiple genres, and we're looking forward to being able to talk about movies that we love, and maybe movies that the other person hasn't seen, hasn't seen for a while, or maybe doesn't love as much as we do. We don't know. We don't know yet. We don't know, because... <laughs> We find out two weeks before we're going to talk about a movie what the next movie is going to be because every movie is going to be picked by either Tim or me. And at the end of every episode, we're going to reveal what movie that was. Yeah. And so two weeks ago, I revealed to Scott the very first episode we were going to watch Whiplash, which is what we're going to watch today from 2014. Yes. <laughs> so so that's the way it's going to work. Uh, so basically, when we say that, you know, the films that we're going to pick, we're, we're trying to pick films that I think, generally speaking, are pretty well received. 
right? I mean, we're not we're not picking things that are just going to be like, you know, these are guilty pleasures or that kind of, you know, it, it, it's, it, we're picking things that, you know, these things do have a genuinely pretty good uh, reception and good following. Those are the things that we're going to review. Uh, like Scott said, some of these things we may not have seen yet. You know, I know there's probably more films that I have not seen than Scott. And so he may pick something that I hadn't seen yet. So I'm like, okay, this will be a fun opportunity for me to go ahead and watch it and give you my thoughts. But I mean, you can at least know that one of the two of us is recommending a film here that we think is really worthy of this podcast. All right. So just a just a little reminder that we are members of the Squadcast Media Network that do that does include a host of other shows. Our original podcast, DC Film Squadcast. We have a comic squadcast, a TV squadcast. We have Fans Without Borders, and we have Marvel Squadcast. All you know, nicely tucked away over in the in the genre area, which you know we're we're kind of breaking the mold with this one. Yep. And guys, uh, we you know since this is a new show, we'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes or any of the other podcatchers out there. If uh, if you like what we're doing, please go out there. You know, leave us a, a real positive review if you're so inclined. We'd appreciate that. That's going to help us to get this show out there and and you know and maybe raise some of the attention of some people that haven't checked us out yet. And we do have a Patreon. It's at Patreon.com/slash/SquadcastMedia. Right now, most of that content, of course, is going to be focused on the genre interests of the rest of the shows on the network. But maybe we're going to take this opportunity to you know branch out of that. I do know that you will have a show on there, Fans Without Borders Plus, where one of the other co-hosts, Ray and I, we just talk about movies that we wanted to go see that were in the theater. So that's that will be an opportunity for those of you who are a little bit more of uh, film files to maybe find something a little bit more outside of our genre box. Yeah. And as Scott was saying, that we've got some other content in there. This, this show, Squadcast Movies, this is actually not the first episode we've done. We have actually done 36 other Squadcast Movies review episodes that are almost entirely exclusive to Patreon. Now, these films that we've reviewed up to this point are, have been in the the comic book film genre. So, uh, if you if those are films you love, go check it out. We have 36 different reviews out there as of today. All right. So, Tim, how about you get the ball rolling because you picked the movie today? Yeah, this is a fantastic film. This is Whiplash from 2014. It's directed by Damien Chazelle and Scott. I think there's another film that you love very much that he had also directed. Yes, I I mean I don't <laughs> care how it was it was weird. I love La La Land. I'm yeah. not gonna lie. <laughs> and it, it's amazing how that went that film went from being really popular to becoming one of those movies that it was like really cool to bash. And I'm like, I don't care. I love La La Land. So I've seen two of this uh, director's three, you know, major theatrical roles. Yeah. He did Whiplash, he did La La Land, and he did First Man. Yeah. And the only one I haven't seen is First Man. Yeah. First Man is quite a bit different. It, I, I like First Man quite a bit. So uh, as a director, I mean, he's impressed me so far with what he's done. So um, this film in particular, this is the first time I had, you know, seen anything from him. And uh, it, it just knocked my socks off. This film also in, uh, has some people that you would know in this, starring Miles Teller, who's going to be playing a young music student going to the Schaefer Conservatory of Music over in the New York area. Uh, J.K. Simmons, who is the jazz instructor at this school. And then there's a couple other names in there. Melissa Benoist, who you might know from uh, Supergirl on the CW. Paul Reiser from Mad About You, uh, an old show on TV. So, uh, and actually, I always... Don't call it old. That's just wrong. (laughs) I loved that show. Yeah. But I actually, my my fondest memory of Paul Reiser is actually in Aliens. (laughs) Some of his... Oh my God, you're right. (laughs) 
some of the one-liners he has in it is just fantastic. But yeah, I mean, so it, it's a it's a pretty small cast. My God, I mean, how would you best describe this film, Scott? It's a psychological drama. I mean, it's it's really what it is. It, 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 it I mean, it, but it's a character study as well. It I is. Mean, it's it's the idea of. I mean, this is independent filmmaking. At, you know, at its core, you know, small cast, small story about the characters. I mean, there's a plot, but th- there's not a MacGuffin or an A to B plot. It's more about what the decisions these characters make and what it, and how it pushes them to interact with other characters. It's for me, it's very much the Aristotle definition of plot, which is is characters make decisions and we watch where those decisions take them and thus plot is born. You know, yeah. that's it, it's not it's not this kind of movie where the plot happens and the characters just play their part in the plot. This is the characters. Yeah. And so much so that J.K. Simmons did win the Oscar for this movie. Deservedly so. <laughs> Deservedly so. Yeah. And I describe this and and I recently described this uh, Joaquin Phoenix in the film Joker. Uh, it's a generational type of acting performance. Uh, that to me is exactly what I kind of felt like I, I saw from J.K. Simmons in this film. Uh, this was a revelation to me. I mean, I, I really only knew J.K. Simmons probably most prominently in film from back in the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man and uh, th- that whole trilogy. And and like the character that he plays there is, is actually in a lot of ways quite similar. See, for me, I also knew him because he was a reoccurring actor on uh, the Law and Order franchise. Right, yeah. Yeah, and I didn't really watch that. But I did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean, my gosh, was he a tour de force in this thing? Uh, the, the the performance he puts on, you get a taste of it almost immediately <laughs> in this film. It starts off, I mean, it, you know, we talk about Andrew Neiman, who is the young uh, student who's, this is his first year at the Schaefer Conservatory. I mean, he's coming in and, and he's playing the drums by himself alone in uh, somewhere in the school. And Terrence Fletcher, who is the jazz instructor, who is very well known and I you basically get the idea that any of these uh, music students here at the school like they know exactly who he is he's he's like a very well-known successful like one of the greats when it comes to like you know being an instructor or a conductor but and that's and that and that and that tracks I mean you go to any kind of art school or music conservatory or a school with a well-to-do arts or music program and if that's your concentration you know who the instructors are you know who the instructors are that you want to impress and that you want to be under their tutelage like that that is so real and something I'm going to be honest I did not know this until I was prepping for this review was that Chazelle was a drummer at a jazz conservatory so this movie while not based on a true story is heavily inspired by his own personal experience and once I learned that and I cannot believe it's taken me six years to learn that information it was amazing to go wow that's why this movie is as visceral and so authentic as it is because in some way I can imagine that Chazelle is telling a piece of his own story which let's be honest in these indie movies with a you know a first-time director who I mean, he who also writes. I mean, we're talking writer and director. That's where they go. They they usually end up plucking some personal experience and then fictionalizing it as part of their film. And once I learned that piece, 
it, it was mind-opening, and I felt kind of ashamed for not knowing that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing I always tell writers is, you know, the best thing to do is kind of, like, write about what you know. You know, write about what your experience is and, you know, and find a story off of that. And that's exactly what he did here. Now, and, and I know a little bit more about his inspiration. It was a um, it was a band director, and I think it was actually his high school. And maybe it was conservatory, I don't know. But uh, it, was, it was back in his high school days, and he was so terrified of his band director that that's kind of like what his his remembrance was of that whole of that whole experience that he had as a uh, as a drummer and so he he kind of built on that now to be fair he he has said that the portrayal that they have of this band director in this film as Terrence Fletcher is is quite a bit above and beyond <laughs> what he had experienced but that's kind of the beauty of it like it, it was it was enough for him that he it, it gave him um, a feeling and an experience uh, from his situation he just took it and amplified it and turned it up to an 11 and my god that performance that we get in this film is just phenomenal well it it's so weird when i went back to rewatch it for this review it's amazing how within the first five minutes of the movie, you've met your two main characters. Yeah. Like when Fletcher walks into that practice room and he just appears out of nowhere and freaks Andrew out and, and, and you get within two minutes the way that he interacts with Andrew, the way he talks to Andrew, you've almost got this guy figured out. Yeah. But you don't know why. <laughs> you don't know. Well, for one, you don't know why, but also you get a taste of it, but you don't realize just how far it's going to go. Because I mean, right away he's you know he comes in and he he asked Andrew why did you stop playing and then so he starts playing again and and he says I didn't ask you to start playing again I asked you why did you stop playing and so you just get this like this uh, psychologically abusive uh, you know reaction from Terrence Fletcher so you get an idea that boy this just this guy's just kind of a jerk right and then later on it pretty much only pretty much the very next react or very next experience he has with him it like it it goes to a place I wasn't expecting when I first watched the film. Like, I mean, it was um, it, it, it was almost scary abusive how he was towards him. Yeah, and that's... And I think if, if we're going to go on this line of talking about Fletcher as a character, I have such a conflicted stance with the character of Fletcher in this movie because I think it's too easy just to write Fletcher off as a villain in this movie because his... I mean, you could say the road to hell is paid with good intentions, but he has a mission. And by golly, is he going to achieve that mission of making sure that he can truly find the great musicians and pull the greatness out of any musician that he can come in in contact with. Now, he goes about that in terrible, horrible, abusive ways that are indefensible by the way he goes about it. But then I also find myself weirdly having empathy for his motivation. And then you get to the then you get to the end of the movie and I even feel like the movie um, the ending of the movie almost intentionally screws with you about how am I supposed to feel about this? <laughs> right. I mean the the thing that gets me is that when he tells the Charlie Parker story and that doesn't and he and I love it. It gets set up in like the first 15 minutes of the movie and you don't get the you don't get the completion of the Charlie Parker story until like the last 
20, 30 minutes of the movie going into that last scene. And there is something about me personally that actually appreciates his sentiment of the, you know, the two most dangerous words in the English language is good job. Yeah. <laughs> and I and, and maybe that makes me sound awful, but he's making the point that you can always be better and you shouldn't settle. And there's too much emphasis on making you feel better that then you can't handle constructive criticism when it comes your way. Now, if he didn't go about it in such horribly abusive ways throughout the movie, he's kind of like maybe that conversation wouldn't be such a, a, a tricky gray area for some people because I think he has a point there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he really does. I mean, I, I so I was kind of feeling a lot of the same things that you just explained, Scott. I mean, it's it, you you realize that the only way he's going to get Andrew to where he eventually got to, the only way he's going to get him there was really to kind of do what he did. And so really the question you have, you know, as somebody watching this thing and trying to, you know, put yourself in the shoes of these characters, like, is that justified? <laughs> is it really justified for him to have done what he did in this to to kind of push him to to find out if he's going to be one of these guys that quits or not? And, uh, you know, and some kind of like some of the sad reality of this is like some the only way you're going to get some people to a level of greatness is is really to kind of push them like this thing. Now, that doesn't make the way, you know, the way Fletcher behaved and acted and the way he treated Andrew and his thing, that doesn't justify any of that. I mean, it, he treated him horribly. And, and all the other students as well. And all the other students. In fact, I mean, there's a story in here where, <laughs> and you, you come to find out some of the truth of it later, but Fletcher comes in and he says, hey, I, I want you to listen to, I want you to listen to this former student of mine. And he reveals that he had just died in a car accident. And he plays like some of his like little solo music on a CD and he plays it to the class. And it just, it feels like this really kind of touching moment where, you know, it's like one of his former students, like you're just not gonna be able to hear him play again. And then at the end of the film, you find out that the student did not die in a car accident. The student actually committed suicide and the parents are actually blaming Fletcher because of the abuse that, you know, he had given this kid. And so, you know, so there was just terrible, terrible consequences with how he treated some people. No, no. And that, and, and then you get to the end of the movie and you see that greatness come out of Andrew and you see this pride in Fletcher at the end of the movie. And then that just really screws with you in a way of, <laughs> wait a minute, was he right? You know, it, 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 I think what I like about this movie is that it doesn't give you an easy answer. No, it doesn't. It makes you really struggle. If you're willing to give the movie a chance and not just write Fletcher off as a one-note villain, it really makes you struggle with the motivations and how he goes about doing it. And it's one of those weird things where you go, but his way works. It's a terrible, awful way, but it achieves the goal. It, it, it's, it, and sometimes I think, it, and I don't know if this is just something that happens in arts, in the arts, this idea that, you know, you have to just be pushed to this absolute limit to just achieve the greatest thing in your in in, in your discipline or does that translate into other areas as well i mean i i don't know yeah well i mean one of the great things that i and i'm glad they didn't really kind of shy away from it with this is you could see the way he treated people talking about fletcher the way he treated his students you could see it rubbing off on them as well i mean you started seeing you know some of the real um abrasive behavior coming from uh who was like the main player in his uh, studio band it wasn't Connolly, it was the other guy yeah. anyway it was um but it like he was he was a little bit abusive towards other people um you saw even andrew 
uh, the way he was. Like, you know, he started becoming kind of abusive uh, when he would talk to other people. Like when he was driving back to the jazz competition and he was in the car, he was cussing out whoever he was talking to on the phone. So like Fletcher was having this really negative impact on his students as well and kind of changing their own behaviors. They they basically just kind of started uh, copying the way he acted. Right, which is which then becomes this sort of disease, this almost psychological disease going throughout the movie. Like, is the, the, this is not okay. This is not the way we behave. But of course, as these students and these protégés admire and look up to Fletcher um, as a role model, then what do you do? Well, you emulate your role model and they're just becoming little Fletchers. Right. Yeah. But I mean, there were just some moments in this thing, just watching, just really watching J.K. Simmons, <laughs> the way he was just berating uh, Miles Tell- Teller's character. Uh, it was just, it was just amazing to watch. I mean, I could sit there and literally <laughs> just keep putting that thing on a loop and just watching it over and over. I mean, uh, how many times have we quoted, you know, not my tempo <laughs> as a, as a kind of a catchphrase? A, a, a lot. It's, a lot it's, of it's become, it's become one of those quotable movie lines of, you know, y- y- if you say it, it communicates so much if someone knows what you're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. Not quite my tempo. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's just that, and it's that driving force because the other side of this is Miles Teller's performance as Andrew, which Andrew, I mean, being our protagonist in this film, it's just watching his journey. And I feel like it's his journey that really confuses the issue that we were talking about when it comes to Fletcher, because you see this young, impressionable kid at this music conservatory. He's 19 years old, and all he wants to do is be, you know... A great jazz drummer because he, he, and once again the film communicates it so quickly because what does he do he he's got pictures of great drummers on his wall he listens to their iconic CDs and performances he's he goes to this school in the middle of the night to to practice because that's what it takes to get better and and you see him start to get the things that he wants at such a great cost a great personal cost I mean the moment where you just go you've lost it is when he's in a car accident but all he can care about even though he's bleeding from a head wound is I need to get to the performance. Yeah. And then but then when he eventually joins in and you know tears Fletcher down and and Fletcher loses his position at the conservatory you also see I mean he's not dealing with the psychological abuse but then you get the sense that his life is somehow less now because he gets like a normal job and you know He's just kind of being a drummer who does some gigs. Like he's he's lost that thing that makes him him, which makes the climax of the film, which is him performing. You know, it's so funny to call the climax of the film just him performing an amazing drum solo at the end. Yeah, and I've and I've never and I've never ever had my teeth like I like my jaw <laughs> hurt from the first time I watched that movie because I was clenching yeah. during that drum solo at the end, going, "What is going to happen?" I know. It was the same thing. I was doing the exact same thing. But then he, but then you see that greatness that Fletcher saw at the beginning come out. And once again, that's what muddles the waters when it comes to who's right and who's wrong in this movie. Yeah. I mean, let's be clear. I mean, Fletcher is clearly in the wrong in this film. Yes. (laughs) He was definitely in the wrong. And it's, and it's because it's too much of a price to pay uh, for greatness. And that's, that's where he's wrong. Like, you know, there's nothing wrong with trying to get greatness out of his students. And, and he clearly had a, identified that, you know, Andrew was somebody that could 
potentially be great. Like he, that was his mark. Like he knew he can get something out of that guy. Because the way they showed it in some of the other interactions with some of the other uh, players in his uh, studio band, I mean, there were people that he was just so easy to dismiss. Like he literally didn't care. Like he knew they weren't going to be great. They might be really good, but they weren't going to be great. So they weren't really worth his time. But like, you know, he was fixated on Andrew Neiman and playing all kinds of games to really kind of get into his head and try to try to elevate him so that, you know, he could reach the heights or we could, he could reach his true potential. So I guess what I'm saying here is like clearly Fletcher's in the wrong <laughs> all throughout this thing. But it, it's such a fun journey to watch it. <laughs> you know, it really is because, I mean, as, as long as I'm not the one going through it, I can sit back there and watch it. <laughs> yeah, it's just, oh, but I, I do, I do think about that. There are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. Yeah. And I think he, it's, they don't show his lips, you know, in that very final scene, but it looked like Fletcher said good job to him at the very end. Ooh, I need to go like back. Like he, I, he said something. Yeah, go back and watch it. He okay. says something, but he, you don't see any of the lips. All you see is his cheeks moving. He clearly said something to him and it, and it kind of looks like the movement you would see with good job. Okay. So I think that's a great one. But man, like all the mind games. Uh, so one of the questions I have for you, Scott, is like, do you, you remember the thing about the the missing the missing book, you know, with all the, the sheet music? Oh, yes. So yes. who took that? I because the fact that it was missing because clearly you know Neiman knew that Tanner who was the um, the core drummer at the time he knew that he did not know the he wasn't able to play that piece by heart whiplash I mean he needed the sheet music so like it was very convenient that the music did disappear because that gave him the opening to you know to take that seat as the core drummer so it could it have been him that's one of the possibilities could it have been Tanner was Tanner the one that decided you know this is my opportunity to make this new guy that potentially is taking my job look bad. I could say he lost my music and, uh, you know, that could have been his opportunity to, you know, push him aside or could it have been Fletcher? And I, for me personally, I kind of think throughout this film, everything that Fletcher was doing was very calculated, extremely calculated. And, and I kind of feel like that would have been the opportunity. Like, like Fletcher wanted to push Tanner out of the way to give Andrew his shot. Yeah, I, I think so. But I also know that the way he ran that studio band is like, you know, he called the shots anyway. He didn't have to to explain himself with anything. Yeah. So, so I don't know. It's 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 one of these like, you know, mysteries. Obviously, there's nothing that really tells you one way or the other like who did what or if anything was if it, if anything was done on purpose to have that sheet music go missing. But still, it it, it just lets you realize it it's one of those things where you almost look at there, there's almost no care of the main characters. Now, there's some side characters I think are incredibly sympathetic, but it makes you look at all of our main characters in this movie and you really can find moments where you just don't like any of them. Yeah. Because they're all doing things that are just incredibly self-serving, and and not just and not just self-serving, but then terribly. uh, You're not just trying to do what's best for you; you're trying to do what's best for you while also tearing someone else down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I even felt bad for Neiman when you know he had those interactions with his family, with his father, and and I I think it was his uncle with his two kids, and they were praising the other kids because one was like um, he was like the MVP quarterback in his division and then or maybe for his team I don't remember what it was but basically praising him for being a sports star at like a division three school <laughs> and then the other one was like somebody that was going to be like a road scholar 
And then, so the the family's like really praising these two guys, his two cousins. And then they kind of turned to him and said, well, well, and then there's Andy with his drumming, you know, basically being real dismissive. And, and we've all been in that spot, like something that's personally very important to us. And if you feel like nobody else understands like what you're trying to achieve and why it would be something incredible and why it's important, that's extremely frustrating. And I thought they played out that scene really well. And that was like, to me, like one of the great failings of his father. You know, he had, he had a pretty good relationship with his father. But at the same time, like his father never quite understood why this was so important to him. And, and, you know, he just wasn't there for him. And so it it was like an open opportunity for Fletcher to kind of come in and be that little father figure. Yeah, horribly abusive father figure. (laughs) But once again, Fletcher cared about what Andrew cared about. And Fletcher cared about, but see, it's weird. It's like Fletcher only cared about Andrew for the music he could make. Andrew's dad cared about Andrew, but didn't care as much about the music. Right. It, it was it was like you needed both of them. You needed both of them in some sort of com- what they what they wanted from Andrew or what they cared about Andrew. You needed the two of them combined to actually be like a one hundred percent father figure. Right. And so we kind of touched on this earlier uh, when Fletcher was telling that story about the the one former student that had died, and he was acting really sad about it. Why do you think he was sad, Scott? I think he was sad because I I felt like that he was sad because this was another student like Andrew who he had the potential to be that greatness. And then I think there's, I think there's actually two sides to this. I think there's one there, there is greatness lost. There is this great jazz player that the world will never have because he's dead now. But there is also sort of the twisted side of it that says, but he gave up. Like in Fletcher's mind, he gave up. Yeah, like Charlie Parker never would have quit. Right, or never would have gotten. Never would have been discouraged. Discouraged. Right. Right. That was that was the line that he said. The next Charlie Parker, you know, because because Andrew said, well, what if you discourage the kid who's going to be the next Charlie Parker? And he was like, well, the next Charlie Parker would never get discouraged. Like that is like his core fundamental belief that if you are that damn good, nothing is going to stop you. Not even a jerk like me. Yeah. And I think. There's a there's a two sides to that coin because I don't think it's one answer or the other. I really do think it's both. I think he truly did admire that kid for his talent, but then at the same time, he's one of those people who looks at someone who commits suicide and blames him right. and goes, "You were too weak." Yeah. Well, and that was one of the great things about the you know the 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 final bit of the film, the final scene, basically where you know he, he came back off the stage. I mean, because gotta remember, Fletcher came in and was basically set him up. No, he didn't basically set him. He sabotaged like the, the whole thing was revenge yep. for getting him fired from the conservatory. Yeah. I mean, he, he set him up. He brought him into this JVC uh, jazz festival a band of his at a competition with all these very important people that, you know, are looking for, you know... The next, the next, the next one. Yeah, the next one. Brings him up on stage and completely set him up with a song that he was not prepared for. And, uh, in fact, even told him up to him. He goes, you know, you think I'm stupid. <laughs> you know, I know it was you. And just basically sabotaged him. But that was like the turning point when he you know, when Neiman got frustrated and walked off the stage and almost walked out of, uh, you know, the music hall, the music hall entirely. That's where he finally realized that I'm not going to let myself be discouraged because that was one of the great lessons that Fletcher had kind of taught him 
is like the next Charlie Parker would not be discouraged. And he went back out there and took control. And, and that was, you know, as uh, as somebody kind of watching this film, like you're seeing like, okay, this finally, this is what finally took him to to the greatness that was has had been teased up to this point. And he just had that amazing drum solo in the finish. And then he actually turned around Fletcher and Fletcher really started kind of... Um, Feeding him, like, like, like getting into it. Like he was trying to pull, like he, he was being the conductor. Like he was going, he was encouraging him. He was he was starting to conduct him a little like he was like yes keep this there, there was a strange connection between the two yeah in that in that climax yeah it was just amazing uh and it was such a great way to end it you know you just have this amazing solo and and the thing just basically ends right at that point so it's 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 such a it's such a it's such a good journey just watching these two interact and especially just watching all the psychological stuff that you know Fletcher was doing it, it was just such a fun journey to watch this all throughout the film I'm not sure fun's the word I would use, but it was I was entertained watching this movie. Yeah, I mean, mean, it was was fun for me. I mean, it was fun watching it. I mean, certainly it wouldn't be fun if it was me going through it. (laughs) But yeah, I I will give you that. It was was very entertaining to watch. It was such a great character study between the two. Because another thing is watching, the question becomes, what what is the cost? It asks a great question. It asks the question, what is the cost of greatness? And for Andrew, it seemed like if you go by the Fletcher method, you had to strip away everything in your life that wasn't the one thing. So in the case of, and for the case of Andrew, if it did not support, promote, engage, or enable him to become the best jazz drummer ever, it was superfluous and needed to be discarded. I mean, Melissa Benoist as Nicole in this movie is basically there so that you could see him having a normal life, having a normal relationship with the cute girl behind the concessions counter only to completely discard her and lose her because she is normal and would pull him towards a normal life and that does not work on the journey to greatness and she must be cast off for his greatness to be achieved and you can almost and it's almost a trope that you see in movies about geniuses and prodigies about how they strip out what they and their subjective view sees as the extraneous parts of the normal life because it's not about what's driving them to their greatness. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, in, in that whole thing, the way he kind of broke off the relationship as well, that again was really kind of a consequence of, of how you could see, you know, Andrew's attitude and his demeanor changing, you know, after being, you know, around Fletcher up to this point. And it's, it, it was just another thing where it was like a, another sign of just how destructive Fletcher really was. It's the condescension. It's the condescension. Yeah. And it just, it was just, you know, it was just truly poisoning the well with, you know, all the people that he was around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's such a, such a good film. And you talked about the soundtrack. Can you tell me a little bit about it, since you actually own it? it? If you just love jazz music, why don't you own it? I mean, it's, see, that's the thing. This movie appeals to me on so many different levels. And, and I think that's one of the reasons I've come to really love Damien Chazelle and his first two films that I've seen is now that I know he was a jazz drummer, it makes so much sense because Whiplash and La La Land, both in their own ways, have are 
are love letters to jazz. And on the soundtrack album for this movie, you get the musical pieces that were recorded and performed for the film itself. You also get some selections of some of these classic performances that are either played on, you know, when they, they're played in the background that, that are, you know, the soundtrack of the movie, as you might say. And then there's also those really um, momentous or noteworthy scenes of dialogue that are also uh, sprinkled throughout the soundtrack album as their own tracks. So um, actually, I can bring it up now because I it was one of those that I bought off of Amazon, but because you buy it off Amazon, you also get like the, the digital copy of it. So I was actually going to, since you bring it up, I was going to look at it and just say that, I mean, it's 24 tracks, you know, the any of the original music in this film is by, is composed by Justin Hurwitz, who also wrote the music, not the lyrics, but the music for La La Land as well. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's actually, when you look at it, there's more original music on here than you would probably expect. But then you also get some stuff like you get Stan Getz and you get, uh, who else? Um, a lot of, a lot of J.K. Simmons yeah. and uh, some uh, Tim Simonek. I mean, there's there's just a lot of great pieces and, and, and original jazz music and jazz the way I like jazz. I mean, you know, when, when, once again, when Fletcher mentions that whole listen to any and use the air quotes, you know, jazz album from Starbucks, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretentious enough that I agree with you. Like, like this is because <laughs> right. when I think jazz, I'm thinking like Charles Parker and Miles Davis and you know you know Stan Getz you know, like like those people like those greats and so the soundtrack and the score for this film calls to those sensibilities of what I think jazz is it's another reason I can somewhat relate to uh, Ryan Gosling's character in La La Land <laughs> right yeah I mean it's, it's such a good uh, track all throughout I'm not like the biggest jazz fan but I, I really like the music in this thing so like that's the um, you know that's the kind of reason and I want to go ahead and pick this thing up just to just kind of take it all in again but I mean definitely like the caravan and whiplash you know which were played throughout this film and so it's it's if you if you're like me and you're not entirely into the the music type or the music genre I, this for me was like certainly something that kind of got my attention you had my curiosity but now yes. you have my attention <laughs> absolutely this film did really well I mean they made this film and they filmed it over a period of 17 days and the budget of this film was 3.3 million how much did it bring in so box office wise worldwide box office it made about 49 million dollars dang yeah it was really funny to me that on the rewatch that it was one of the production companies was Bloomhouse, and i just and that made me laugh because you know when you hear Bloomhouse, you almost just expect a horror movie but in a weird way this almost is a horror movie yeah it really is because you talked about being a psychological it's almost a psychological thriller just watching because because fletcher is that it's like the hannibal lecter of jazz music it's just like he's going to eat you alive yeah well, and this film actually debuted uh, as a full film uh, in 2014 at the Sundance Film Festival, and it won the Top Audience and Grand Jury Awards uh, at that festival. Did you know this film was actually 
originally done as like a 17 minute short the previous year i had heard that but i've never seen the short yeah so you should check it out uh it's an extra on on the film itself so uh it's like 17 minutes it's got jk simmons in it i think it has tanner who was the the main core drummer but uh it has a different actor playing neiman and uh and it's it's almost it's almost line for line the series of scenes where he you know basically where fletcher threw the chair where he was you know switching between the drummers uh it's basically that entire scene uh, okay you know are you are you rushing or dra- am i rushing or dragging like that whole scene it's it's all of that and it goes on for like 17 minutes and and it's it's it was literally just a, a truncation of the script that was already written at that point in time and in fact it was uh because it had already been debuted as a short film the screenplay was not eligible to be and based on an i can't think of the wording but basically it, it was not able to be an original uh screenplay because technically it counts as an adaptation. It was an adaptation of the previous short, which was which was from the same screenplay. <laughs> so it was it was one of those unfortunate things. But um, but yeah, I mean, as you said before, J.K. Simmons won for best supporting actor and gave one of the best Oscar speeches ever. Yeah, I mean, it was such I, a great one. It was it was a wonderful speech. Yeah. Oh, you know the 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 last speech to get me like that yeah, chronologically was probably like when Olivia Coleman won it for the favorite. You know, mm-hmm. I love those kind of speeches. Yeah, it picked up also. Sound editing. Sound editing and best film editing. Which I can completely understand that because that's putting the, you know putting those pieces together and when you've got a movie that's basically you watching people play jazz the whole time yeah you know the idea of editing that together to give it the the, the suspension and the tension and the energy that this film has when you watch it yeah so it went up uh it was also up for best picture it went up against uh american sniper boyhood the grand budapest hotel the imitation game selma and a theory of everything who won that year and uh, and birdman i forgot to mention birdman which is of course yeah birdman is one of one oh because yeah. birdman oh yeah birdman won that year yeah yeah because I, I mean, Birdman's a great film. <laughs> I mean, Birdman might be a movie we talk about. You never know. So. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Yeah. Birdman's a really fun one. Uh, and then Best Supporting Actor, it was Robert Duvall from The Judge, which was actually the, the film The Judge was uh, was average, but Duvall's performance was fantastic in it. Uh, Simmons also went up against Ethan Hawke from Boyhood, Edward Norton and Birdman, and Mark Ruffalo and Foxcatcher. But yeah, I would say out of all those, I, I, this was this was the best out of all those films. Well, because it's so weird. This is one of those cases where where you want to look at J.K. Simmons' performance and go, he was basically a co-star, and yet you give him supporting act. It goes back to those weird Academy rules, where basically you just put them in whatever category you think they're going to win. Because, I, I you know, he he is such a major part of this movie, but it's clearly that it's Miles it's Miles Teller's movie yeah. as, as a protagonist. Yeah. I mean, the only time you ever see J.K. Simmons throughout this thing is at the, you know, in the studio or at the, at the festivals. That's it. Whereas Miles we see at several different places outside of the film. So, I mean, you can argue that, you know, he obviously is a main, you know, character. Yeah, but it's just, I think, but that also attests to J.K. Simmons' performance that you feel like he's there more. Yes. Because you <laughs> feel his presence in the movie, even if he's not actually on screen. <laughs> and man, did he just, like, put you on the edge of your seat every time he's coming in. Even when he was acting kind of nice, you're like, okay, when is this, when is he going to lose it? Why? 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 Why are you being nice? <laughs> when, just exactly when is he going to lose it? And almost without uh without exception i i think entirely without exception he 
always lost it at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. So yeah, so this is a good film. You guys should see this thing. It is it is fantastic. It's just a great character study. It's a psychological. It's a psychological thriller. I think I, I, it's kind of the way I would describe it. Just yeah. psychologically watching the interactions between you know Fletcher and Neiman is just. It's the anti Mr. Holland's opus. <laughs> it's it's, a, it's exactly right. <laughs> it is the absolute opposite. And they're it's, both it's great like, films. It's, I know they're both great films. <laughs> but when you think about the teacher movie, this is like the anti teacher movie. This is this is this is when the teacher goes. This is Breaking Bad for teachers. It really is. <laughs> yeah. And and it's it's one of those weird things. Like you know this would certainly never fly anywhere today. Although this is one of these really weird things where because he was such a force when it came to you know to music in in you know in the New York area, it's like he was able to get away with all this. Right. And he's at a conservatory. Right. And and there's that idea of I mean you're, when you go to conservatory, yeah, you're going to school, but you're really just going to school for this one thing. Right. Yeah. And so and it's also one of those things like you know nobody is going to raise an issue about this guy <laughs> because he's going to destroy you. He will destroy that's, you. That's he. That's the deal is that no one was because I think about that first scene where he walks into like that that first band and he plucks Andrew out of it. He just walks into that teacher's classroom and tells that teacher basically to get <laughs> step aside, move, step aside. Yep. That 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 very subtly communicated everything you needed to know. He walked into somebody else's band, told him to move aside, <laughs> and did his thing. Yep. And there is nothing that guy could do. Even that that instructor or you know band leader. What I don't know what exactly what he was, but like even even he was just not going to raise a stink about it. No, no, he's just gonna step out of the way. Yep. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, it's they just set the stage for this guy immediately. Those first couple interactions you see with him, I mean, like the the presumptuousness of him, like the whole thing in the beginning too, like <laughs> where he comes in and and gets Andrew to start playing, and then he says, you know, he says, you know, do this for me, and then Andrew's starting to play, and he turns around or he looks up, and and Fletcher's gone, and then yes. he finally walks back in the room, all intentional, of course. He walks back in the room, uh, so Andrew's like, oh, okay, he's back, you know, he's he wants to listen. He goes, nope, I just forgot my coat. Oopsie daisy or whatever it was that he said yes uh yeah it's such a such a fun ride so yeah we would highly recommend you go to see this film i think that's pretty safe to say do we want to rate yes. this thing no it's a it's a five-star movie for me I, I but i don't think we need to rate it because i feel like the whole reason we're picking these movies is because it's like that they would they would all be like four or five star movies for us yeah are, are they always going to be that though i mean because some of these i haven't seen you haven't seen well but but the obviously the person who picked it yeah is going to feel that way about the movie yeah i don't know i i think i would i think i would give it five stars as well i would yeah, yeah. Why are you kidding yourself, Tim? You picked the movie. Well, I'm just trying to think. You know, I always have this thing, is there really such a thing as a five-star film? You know, I've said that yes. many times. Like, is there really such a thing? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. Yeah. Because, I mean, if there was a couple quibbles I would have in this film, I think there were a couple bits of dialogue, which I wish they would have toned down just a little bit. Like, one of them being, like, when he used the term mini-me. You know, I kind of yeah. felt like that was a little too... It made me think of Austin Powers. And so, right. it, like, it pulled me into thinking about a film that I didn't want to think about at the moment you know because i was so invested in this film so little things like that when he brought up elmer fudd you know those little things like i i thought you know i i thought those for me personally i would have just maybe kind of pulled those back just a little bit no i got the elmer fudd one yeah you know, I, I do i mean i i get that one more the mini me one is the one that i i think i think about the most but i mean god if i was like i have almost no other quibbles whatsoever i mean i'm sure there's probably some jazz musicians that watch this film 
film that probably look at it and go, oh, they didn't get this right. They didn't get that right. That's an, I'm, I'm sure that's entirely the case. But for a layman like me, you know, just kind of watching this film without being an expert in in jazz, this thing was just such such a such a joy to watch. And not just from the acting performances, but I mean, musically, I I really enjoyed it musically. No, oh, it's it's just it, it's got the whole package. Yeah, it really does. So yeah, a five star film, our first one. Yay! All right. So are you ready, Tim? Yeah. So the way we're gonna do this thing, and I don't think we totally explained it, but you know, we pick a film. I pick one for Scott for both of us to review, and then he reveals to me at the end of that review what the next film is going to be so i i I can't i can't wait what 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 is it scott you're gonna you're gonna tease me a little bit here or are you just gonna come out and tell me what it is i'm I'm gonna tease just a little bit okay but it's it's gonna be a coen brothers movie oh yes it is actually my favorite coen brothers movie um because i i don't love all their stuff Uh uh-huh so but this one's my favorite and it's gonna be no country for old men oh that's such a (laughs) yes I, I knew you'd probably seen it, but I can't. But of I'm course. using this as an excuse just to rewatch it. Ah, uh, a Cormac McCarthy inspired film. Oh man, I know, I know. So yes, so the next one. So in a couple of weeks, <sighs> yeah, you need to you need to be ready to watch uh, No Country for Old Men. Oh, uh, it's such a good choice, such a good choice. This is one I I'm so thankful that you picked this one because I have been wanting to watch this one in a while. I know Again. it's been like <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while, and I'm ready to watch it. So. Uh. My so my daughter tonight, you know, she's she's starting to get into like some of the older, you know, the more adult oriented books. You know, I mean, she's ten, but she's asking about certain books on my bookshelf, and I'm and I'm looking at the bookshelf. I'm like, I don't have a whole lot that I'm like ready to let her read yet. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, she's she's started looking at my Cormac McCarthy novels, and she's asking about. Oh, those. you're like just that. no. I'm nope, like nope, no, no, no. Nope, you're nope, not ready for nope, that. Nope, <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Some adults aren't ready for that. No, just, just she was saying. looking at the Border Trilogy. What's that about? You know. And I was like, no, that's no, definitely no. not. <laughs> no. And so, yeah, so No Country for Old Men was sitting up there. So, yeah, good choice, good choice. I am looking forward to this one. All right, guys. So that's going to be it for this review. We want to thank you guys so much for listening. Yeah, absolutely. This has been a ton of fun. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. Please reach out to us. You can contact us on Twitter at Squadcast Movies. Personally, on Twitter, you can reach me at Alan Fire. You can find me at ScottDC27. You can also email the show at SquadcastMedia at gmail.com. All right, we love hearing from you guys love to interact don't hesitate to reach out we encourage you to go watch this film go check it out and if you do please let us know what you thought of it and uh, I, I definitely would love to hear your feedback uh, you can also find us at on Vero we have our website squadcastmedia.com and of course our Patreons at patreon.com squadcastmedia so that's going to be it for this week so to all of our listeners we hope to see you at the movies alright have fun guys 